I had this friend, uh, Sonny. I met him at a summer job. I, I worked, in, this is I think after my sophomore year of college, I worked at a coffee shop in Malvern. And my aunt owned the coffee shop, and my aunt's name is Joanne. She goes by JoJo. So guess what the coffee shop was? Cup of JoJo. Yeah, and we worked at this coffee shop, and I met my buddy Sonny there. So um, he he's a good-looking and uh, intelligent young guy who uh, was trying to start a modeling career in Manhattan at the time. And uh, it was not working incredibly well, tough market, I guess. So he was working at a coffee shop in Malvern in the meantime. And uh, we got to know each other. It was pretty interesting. He was also a guy who really um, wanted to know some deeper things. He had a lot going for him in this life, but he wanted to know some deeper things. And that worked well for me. I was uh, just finished my sophomore year at uh, Moody Bible Institute, and I, I had a, my major was evangelism and discipleship, and I loved to share my faith. And here's this guy who wanted to learn more, so we got to interact a whole lot, and it was a lot of fun. But, you know, Sonny had spent some time in some youth groups and things like that when he had been in high school, and had never really found exactly what he was looking for. And so he decided, he was entrepreneurial, and he decided to start this group, and this group was called Truth Adventures. And they would do all sorts of crazy things. You know, they'd jump out of airplanes and do all sorts of different things, but then, they, you know, they'd meditate in the middle of a field, just try different things to experience something. And then they would also sit around and have discussions about faith and religion and philosophy and those types of things. Well, he one day early on in Truth Adventures asked me to come to a coffee shop in Westchester uh, where he was having a meeting with a certain group of these people and asked me to share my faith there and just kind of explain my perspective on faith. So I show up and I walk into the coffee shop and I look around on the walls and there is obviously a theme with the paintings. They're all, all the paintings that are hanging on the walls are painted by the same artist. And the theme seemed to be protrusions. I, the first painting was like a, a close-up of a thimble, you know, that you put on your finger. And it was like all the, all the uh, like, it, it was very much honing in on the, like, little bumps that come off the thimble. And then the next painting was like, you're, looks almost like you were laying on the ground at the base of a tree. And you're looking up and you see all the branches shooting off the tree. The next painting was of someone's hands like this. And you just see their fingers sticking out. And so I order my double espresso and I head up to upstairs. And it was late, you know. And I worked at a coffee shop. I needed help. So we, we went up and, uh, and we're having our discussion up there. Sonny's kind of talking to everyone about his, his latest adventures and and trying to you know have some interaction and as i recall what he was talking about was kind of suffering and how suffering is a part of life and beauty is found in the midst of suffering and 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 it's all kind of together and i remember thinking well there's some truth to that but you know i need to hear a little bit further what you're talking about and as i was thinking about that i look on top of him and there's another one of these paintings on top of him and this painting was obviously also about protrusions, but it was a little bit harder to understand exactly what it was. It wasn't as in focus. It wasn't as clear what it was. It seemed to be some sort of vine or something. There were like leaves on it and a flower and then maybe some like thorns or thistles or something coming out of it. And, um, and I'm sitting here trying to listen and make sense of what he's saying and also trying to understand this painting. And as I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I'm thinking about what I'm going to say when he asked me to share, and all of a sudden I'm staring at this painting and something about the painting catches my eye. And it comes into focus, and I realize what it is. And I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. God just allowed me to see this, and this is going to be really helpful for this discussion. This is kind of a moment. And so I, 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 he said, are you, are you going to share? And I said, yeah. Um, I, but first I want you to look up at this painting. And, and what do you see? 
And he, he said, well, I see like, I, I see like the, the, the green and the growth and the flower. And uh, am I up on here? Yeah, and, and he's like, and I see the beauty and the growth, but I also see kind of like a thorn and stuff like that. And it's like the difficult things in life come along with the, the beautiful things in life. And I said, step across the room. Look from a distance, buddy. And so they all step back and they look. And you can see, if you look down the bottom right, the eye, and you see that this is the crown of thorns on the head of Christ. And I said, Sonny, um, the things that you're sharing right now, if I have these pictures because the painting hangs in my office now. So if you ever want to see it, it's in my office. My brother heard the story and went and bought me the painting. And... Um, I, I had, I, I, we all sat back down and I said, look, Sonny, uh, like what you're saying, the truth about suffering and beauty, it's a biblical concept, you know? Like God uses, C.S. Lewis says that pain is the bullhorn by which God communicates to us. In the midst of suffering, we learn so much. These moments of suffering, they're windows of God communicating into us. And that's a biblical concept from the book of Job to the person of Jesus all the way through. Paul says, I want to know Christ in the power of, of the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection. I'm like, this whole concept that you're talking about, completely biblical concept, but it's not true unless you see it in the face of Jesus. See, what happens is if you take a truth and you remove it from Jesus, all of a sudden the truth in itself is no longer true. You see, there's a symbol, the yin and the yang. You ever seen the symbol? It's like white and black with the dot of the white and the black in each. And that's a Taoist theology about suffering, pain, good and bad, and it's balance, and it's kind of Eastern mysticism and philosophy. And that is kind of that little bit of truth, but it's removed from Christ. And a truth that is true in the face of Jesus is no longer true when you take it away from the face of Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's not, it's not even just false. It's a deception. It leads us astray. You see, I think there was something purposeful with the, with the, uh, the painter here. You, you, the focus is in on the flower and the thorn and the leaf, and it draws you to this one spot. And you're seeing things and wondering and interpreting and saying, what is it? And you have to kind of change your focus and look off center a little bit to some other spot, and you look at the eye. And as soon as you see the eye, boom, everything makes sense. And this is the way it works. When we find the face of Jesus, when we find his face, everything else begins to make sense. But when we don't have the face of Jesus, it's very, very confusing. So the call in the scripture that Josh read for us today in Hebrews is to seek the face of Jesus. I want to read for you again the first verse of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, Holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. What's the heavenly calling? The calling toward heaven, the calling to come toward heaven, and the calling of heaven. And the calling of heaven is that we are a part of the body of Christ who reveal the glory of God. And that's our job. Those who are a part of that calling, this is what we're supposed to do. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. It's not fix your thoughts on Christianity. It's not fix your thoughts on being a good person. It's not fix your thoughts on obeying the law of God. It's not fix all of the... It's fix your thoughts on Jesus, the person of Jesus. Think about Jesus. Think about God. Wrap our minds around him. Don't figure out how to do whatever. If we have this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle 
and our high priest. Do you know what an apostle and a high priest is? The apostle is the messenger sent with the message, the representative. And so Jesus comes from heaven as the apostle to us, the great missionary. He comes on behalf of God toward us to to bring God's love to us, to bring God's redemption to us. But then he's also the high priest. And you know what the priest is? The priest is the one who comes on behalf of the people back to God. And so he's the bridge going both ways, from heaven to us, from us to heaven. This is Jesus. And he says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. It makes sense, doesn't it? He's the way, the truth, and the life. Don't worry about anything else. Fix our thoughts on him. Now, here's the problem, is that this scripture actually describes for us, uh, not this one here, but this passage uh, describes for us that there's, there's a polemic. There's, there's, uh, there's two different ways of looking at our lives and looking at this world. And what determines how we look at our lives and how we look at the world is the, is the, it's the uh, mode of our heart. If our hearts are hard and, and what, it is that, what it is that we want, if, if we're self-focused and our hearts are hard, we don't see God. But if we want to see God, we will seek him and we will find him when we seek him with all of our hearts. And so as we look for God, there's one way to look at this world and our lives and it's eyes of faith. And when we look through eyes of faith, what happens is, is we come and see a painting and the painting has all sorts of different things going on in it. Pain and suffering and beauty and goodness and all sorts of truth. Or we may be in a situation with a person where we figure out how to kind of maneuver in a relationship or we learn over here how the mathematics work or how business works. But somewhere in the middle of this, there's an eye of Christ to be found. And the eye of faith looks around in every situation in my life and it looks for the eye of Christ. And through eyes of faith, we see him, we find him, we know him, and we walk with him. But the problem is, again, is that faith is not easy. It's not easy to look through eyes of faith. As a matter of fact, what the scripture tells us is that we're drawn more toward another way. I want to read this passage, 12 through 14. See to it, brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. I want to read this again and I want to highlight a few words and what I want you to do is, is I read it again. The words that are going to be in red on the screen here, I want you to read them out loud with me, Okay? See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold firmly till the end, the confidence we had at first. You see, what we're asking, what's happening in this passage is we're asked to take an exam of what it is that we're focusing on. What is it that we're seeing? What eyes are we looking through? Is our heart hardened and are we missing what's around us? Are we being led astray by deceitfulness? Are we seeing these truths of the yin and yang apart from Christ? Are we seeing these different things separated from Christ and holding them as true but not seeing Christ? Or are our hearts soft and we're looking through eyes of faith? and seeing God all around us. So today, the, the, you see the title of the, of the message is called The Eye Exam. And really, honestly, this isn't just about where our eyes are focused. It's about who is the eye. 
Am I the I that's the center of my universe? Is it about me or is it about the I am? You know, am I seeing life in terms of what relates to me or am I looking for Christ? Am I looking to see Jesus? And when I do, the the focus switches. Let me explain for a second. In this painting, if you just look at the vine and you just look at the flower and you just look at the leaves and that's all you see, then it's hard to kind of understand what it's all about. But when you see Jesus, it comes into focus. When I look at the, the things in my life, I look at how to make relationships work. I look at how finances work. I look at how time works. I look at different aspects of truth. And I'm a learner and I'm trying to take the different pieces of my life and make sense of them and put them all together. But any one of these concepts is bigger than me itself. You know? And so I I have to try to figure, and it gets confusing. But all of a sudden, if I find Jesus, the creator of it all, it's all just a part of him. You know? And it starts to fit in, in Jesus. Jesus is gigantic. And, and the, the threads of my life and the truths of the scriptures and the ways that I interact with people, all of a sudden it comes together in the person of Jesus because he's the creator of it all. And this is how the passage starts. It says, he's the one who built the house. He's worthy, worthy of greater honor. And if our eyes stay focused on him, the details of our lives begin to make sense. But we have to focus in on Jesus. All right, now listen. I want to talk to you a little bit about physics this morning kidding me, Tim? (laughs) Physics? It'll help. Don't worry. Um, Sir Isaac Newton, he uh, had laws of motion. First law of motion, things that are in motion, stay in motion. You guys are good, man. Your teachers would be proud. Uh, Things that are in motion, stay in motion. So in other words, if something's moving, it's going to want to just keep moving. You might say, well, that's not really true. I mean, what if I throw a baseball? It's going to stop, isn't it? Well, yeah, but there's friction and there's drag and there's gravity and there's all sorts of things that are going to keep it. But in a perfect vacuum, you know, if you throw that thing, it's just going to keep going. It's just going to keep going. Things that are in motion want to stay in motion. Einstein refined that a little bit. And instead of saying just things in motion stay in motion, he said that things matter resists change in motion. What that means is, is if something's in motion, it wants to stay in motion, but also it means if something isn't moving, it doesn't want to start moving. That whatever speed things are going at, they don't want to change. Sound familiar? (laughs) That's how we roll. We're matter. You know, we don't want to change really. And, And this is called inertia. Things don't want to change pace. Unless there's some exterior force, they actually can't change pace. In and of themselves, they can't change pace. If they're at a certain momentum, headed at a certain trajectory, can't change unless something makes it change. That's the way it works. That's the laws of motion. Now, there's one other thing. Hang in there with me. Last one. There's this other concept, and it's called inertial space. Inertial frames. Inertial frames. And inertial frames are when things look like they're going a certain speed, but they're actually going another speed. That's basically what this is. And what it is, is when there's a whole environment where things are going a certain speed and everything that happens within that environment looks like it's kind of static, but the whole thing is moving. Let me give you an example. If you're on a plane and you're flying at like 400 miles an hour, but you're at a steady pace, 400 miles an hour, and I jump up in the air while I'm on the plane and I land back on the plane, am I going to land way back there because we're going 400 miles an hour? No, I'm going to land right where I jumped, right? Why? Because I am in an inertial frame. That's what it's called. This is uh, true of earth. It's true of riding in any vehicle when you're going uh, at a certain pace. If I'm standing in a train and I bounce a ball, 
and I'm going 60 miles an hour, that ball comes right back up to me. But if I'm running outside and I drop the ball, the ball bounces and goes back there and I keep going, right? But on the train, it bounces right back up to me and it looks like we're not moving. If all you see is the inside of that train, it looks like we're not moving. This is earth. And that's how things work on earth, both physically and spiritually. First of all, physically, you know, it seems like right now if I jump, I'm going to la- land right here. It seems like I'm not moving. I'm in the same space. But am I moving? Yeah, we're in an inertial frame. Anybody know how fast that earth is going around its axis? A little over 1,000 miles an hour. Anybody know how fast it's going around the sun? Over 66,000 miles an hour. So we're going like this and, you know, like, and so we are flying right now. We are going so fast. We think we're standing still. It seems like we're sitting still, but we are cruising right now. Not, we're not exerting the energy to make it happen, but it's happening because we're in this inertial frame. Now, that's enough of the physics, except for this. This is the same thing that's true, spiritually speaking. Adam and Eve decided to take a bite of the forbidden fruit. And it started a process of rebellion. And that process of rebellion and sin decided that it was going to go away from God. And it started a train on a linear track headed directly away from God. And so we live on a train. Being born human means being born sinful. We're a part of a culture and a philosophy and a people and a world that is headed directly away from God at very, very quick speeds. Directly away from God in rebellion. That's the world that we live in. And the scriptures teach very clearly that this train of earth that we live on is headed for decay and for destruction. And that the philosophies of this world and what this world teaches ultimately lead to one place, self-absorption, where we stop seeing everything else around us and all we begin to see is the created things rather than the creator, the I instead of the I am. And that's what happens when you ride the train of this world also happens is it appears that we're sitting still and we don't feel that we're moving at light speeds away from God. It actually just kind of feels like everyone's kind of just doing their thing and living life. And yet inertia says that we are a part of this inertial frame where the whole world and all of its philosophy and all of its teaching is headed away from God and we are a part of it. In order for me To stay in the same spot, if I'm on a train going 60 miles an hour, I have to run 60 miles an hour the opposite direction on the train. And if so, then the tree that's outside the window, I'll be at the same spot with that tree. If I'm running 60 miles an hour this way while the train's going this way, and I'm in for a rude awakening when I get to the back of the train, you know? Um, But I can't run 60 miles an hour. Neither can I run 1,000 miles an hour or 66,000 miles an hour. I can't resist the forces of this earth, the forces of the train, and I certainly can't resist the forces of sin because it moves faster than all of that. And what happens is, is we sit on the train of this earth that's moving away from God and, and we can work with all of our effort to project something different, to be something different, to discipline ourselves, to go toward God instead of away from God. And it's just like being on earth where the earth is moving around and I can jump up and I can make a leap of faith, but I will land solidly back in unbelief, a state of unbelief a state of not 
thinking, not fixing my thoughts on Jesus, not depending on Jesus. And I may be on this train in the train car with everyone else and I might have my Bible out and I might quote parts of it and I might say some prayers where I might do some things that look religious and I might wear certain garments and it may look like I'm religious and I might take a leap of faith for a second. But if I am not in pursuit of Christ, then I will land solidly and consistently right back on the train of unbelief that's headed this way because all of the momentum is headed this direction. You understand what I'm saying? That's how it works. Jen and I were on our, on our way down to uh, my parents' cabin a few weeks ago and we, got, we were on Route 10 headed south and we went through Honeybrook. And when we got south of, of Honeybrook, there's like this ridge and there was this car that was parked along the side of the of the road and it was looking out over the ridge and it was a car that was like from the 50s or 40s something like that and it looked like it was in like perfect mint condition i mean this thing looked like it had just been driven off the lot except that was like 60 years ago you know and but somehow this thing was like perfect and this couple was sitting there and they had he had his arm around her and i couldn't really see them well i could tell that they were older and um by the color of their hair and they're looking out over the the view and Jen was laughing. She's like, I think they've been sitting there for like 60 years. And, um, and behind them was a plow that had horses, you know, that were, was pulling the plow. And I was like, if I took a picture of this right now, I would have no idea that it's of 2011. You know, I wouldn't know any different. However, those people who were in that car, they recognize that it's not 1950. And the reason they recognize that is because in 1950, when they were sitting in that exact same spot with their arms around each other, perhaps listening to the same music, they looked at one another and their hair was a different color. And so they know that things have changed. You know, and even if they've done everything possible to keep things in in a certain place, there is an inertial frame that they are part of that's called earth and it's called aging and it will move forward. Time will keep moving. And what happens is, is they're seeing that things keep moving forward and no matter how much we want to keep something in a moment or it, it catches up with us. You ever heard the old adage, if you're not growing, then you're dying? You know, if you're not growing, then you're dying. And there's truth to that. Although sometimes you can change by simply not changing. If you stay on the train, and you're not in a mode of change moving toward God, then there's an inertial frame. What happens is our earth is headed toward decay. And if I'm not doing anything, then guess where I'm headed? Toward decay. And so I don't have to do anything to head toward decay. I just have to stay solidly planted on this earth, listening to the philosophy of this world, living in normal culture, and I will head toward decay, toward destruction. It takes actually another force of energy, outside force, to change inertia. There's something else that has to come in and change it. And what Jesus does not do is Jesus does not stand on the train tracks and wait for a 60 mile an hour train to come toward him and have a huge collision and let the thing go all over the place. That wouldn't actually be helpful. That'd just be disastrous. And so Jesus says this thing is headed toward destruction, but he does give us a way out. He does give us a way out. He is still the power of change. When I look in the box car that I'm in, and maybe it's a dining car, and I see people eating over here, and I see a family hanging out here, and I'm bouncing the ball here, exchange of money here, and all of this makes sense to me and feels like reality inside of this car. Everything feels like it's just sitting still, even though it's headed directly away from God. There's a way out, and the way out is when I lift my eyes up and I look out the window. When I look out the window, all of a sudden I see trees and stuff just flying by. And I realize... There's a world other than this one. 
It's the kingdom of God. And it's passing me by. And while I'm concerned about everything that's happening in this train car, the kingdom of God is passing by at light speed. And I'm missing it. And I need a power to help get me off of this train because I can't run 60 miles an hour this direction. And even if I do, I'll run into the back of the train. And, and it's coming. I know the back of that train's coming. you know. And it, I can't do it. And I can't just jump off of this train. I'll die in the process. There's no way to actually make this work. I need help. And he says, look up out the window. Seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What is the desire of our heart, to succeed in the train car, to take the pieces of truth and to make them work in the life that we have and say, thank you, God, for that truth and thank you, God, for this truth and I'm going to make it work here in my train car that feels like reality to me or am I going to stop thinking about the I and am I going to look out the window and say, where is the great I am and how does my life fit within his reality, the kingdom of God? And when I begin to look at what happens is, is see, all of a sudden my body, it's still headed toward decay and it's still on the train. But see, the spiritual world is, is much more real than just the physical world. It's, a, it's like God's reality is even bigger, you know, and it's even more broad. And what happens is that I begin to stare at Jesus. It's almost like the, the spirit inside of me begins to take its place over top of my body again. It's not just inside of my body. It's all over top of it. And it finds Christ. And all of a sudden, the laws of physics that apply to this train don't apply to my spirit because the laws of the spirit are much different. Those who keep in step with the spirit produce the fruit of the spirit. And so if I connect with Jesus and my face stays, my thoughts stay connected to Jesus and, and I stay in step with him and I'm just looking out the window. Next thing I know, I don't even realize it, but my spirit's just kind of floating above this train and connecting to Jesus. And, and I'm saying, hey, you guys got to look out this window. You see this? He's beautiful. You see this world around us? He made it all. You know, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And things change when people look out the window of their boxcar and they begin to see the face of Jesus. Now, all of this in here, it's still important. We still need to help others look out the window and we still need to get done what we need to. And, uh, but, but the focus changes. When I was, um, you know, well, before I say that, I, I, uh, I know that some people don't like to look out the window. You know, some don't actually like to, to have eyes of faith. Actually, many, many, many of us don't like to have eyes of faith. We might make gestures of faith or religion, but we don't actually like to just stare at God because inside this tram car, there's actually a level of comfort. My, um, my son, Colton, my youngest, last year, he, he said it really well. He was playing with a friend and the friend told him, I don't believe in God. And um, it was, I think it was a five-year-old who said, I don't believe in God. And it, Colton I had no idea where this came from. I didn't tell Colton to say this. I didn't know. And Colton just said, yeah, some people don't believe in God because they want to do what they want to do. Wow. You know, that was a pretty profound statement from a little four-year-old, you know? And what's happening is, is in the tram car that's headed 40 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour this direction, everything seems like it's stable, so I can feel pretty comfortable about heading in my rebellion away from God and my self-absorption because it's not con- there's no constant reminders that are telling me that. It just seems like life is going pretty well, and I'm in control of this life. You know, if I learn this truth and apply it here, I can get money, and if I learn this truth and apply it here, people can, you know, I can work in relationships, and I can get food, and I can do all of that, and these, it works, and my life just kind of works, you know? But when I look out the window, and it's much bigger than me, 
And all of a sudden, I'm not in control. And I realize I can't control whether, you know, the life out there is too big and I need help. And, and all of a sudden, I'm not in control. When I was working on this message, I was sitting at my, my uh, island in my kitchen and I was typing and Jen was there and she was back on the couch and, and she was reading and she said, hey, Tim, come here. So I came back and I looked out the window and here are these two little bluebirds, baby bluebirds, and they're sitting in our one of our flower boxes on the deck. And they're sitting there in the, in the flower box. And all of a sudden, Mommy Bluebird comes in and has a worm in her mouth, splits the worm, feeds both of the babies, takes off again. These babies quick gobble up the worm. Then what do the babies do? They turn their head up to the sky, looking for Mommy, mouths wide open, making noises, not seeing anything else around them, and just crying out for Mom again. Like, that was quick. Some of you are young mothers. Some of you are soon-to-be young mothers. And you either recognize or will soon recognize that this is exactly how human babies work, right? There's a constant state of dependence. You do something for them and instantly they want more. And they're focused on one thing, you, because you are the, you're the one who gets them what they need, you know? And so they're focused on you. And sometimes, you know, when we first come to Christ, this is kind of how it, it happens. The infancy of our faith is a place where we're in real dependence on Jesus, where we're looking for Jesus. Man, I need more. I need to grow. I need to understand more. I don't get it all, you know? And, and God hooks me up. So I'm dependent on God. And I'm like a little child, you know, who's like completely dependent on dad. And I'm always looking for him. My thoughts are on him. My eyes are focused on him. But something begins to happen. We begin to grow up and we begin to learn about other truths. And we see that there's more to this world around us than just what God can provide. He wants us to grow up and have responsibilities. And so there's all these wonderful, interesting things around us. And they're good and they're great to look into and we have to fulfill our responsibilities. The problem is, is those things easily become distractions for us. And eventually the created things become idols for us. And we start to think about our lives in terms of all that other stuff And we forget what it's like to be the dependent child who's just looking to Jesus, like the little bluebird. And so the prayer that that we pray at at the end of this message is, is we pray that God will refocus our eyes. We know we have a lot to do and we know we have to worry about all this, but may we never miss that the eye of God is still what we need to focus on. And that painting, it's great. We can look at the thorns and we can look at the flowers and we can understand all the principles and all the truths, but let us never lose focus on the eye of Christ. Let us never lose the fact that it all fits within the face of Jesus. And may we never get thinking just about religion or just about family or just about success or just about work. We have to think on Jesus and meditate on Jesus and focus on Jesus. And when we do, the other things make sense in their context. One last problem about this that the scripture reveals to us, and it's that while we have to learn to depend on Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the one who can draw us out of this train and get us back connected with the the kingdom of God, we don't have the ability to sustain that level of faith on our own. And what God blesses us with, one of the things he blesses us with, one of the primary ways that he provides for us is through the kingdom of the, the family of faith. And we are a part of the family of faith. And what our job is, is to really help each other look toward Christ. So I want to read this passage one more time, the 12 through 14. And this time you're going to read with me everything that's in blue. Okay? See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. What's the confidence we had at first? It's that mama's going to come back with the worm. You know, it's that God is the one who takes care of us. That when I look out of the train, all I need to do is find the spirit and stay connected. I need to know where Jesus is and I need to stay connected to him. That's the confidence we have at first. And he says that our job as a family of faith is to grab a hold of each other and point toward Jesus constantly. That's our job. Encourage one another all the more to look at Jesus. And so if things are struggling at work, if things are struggling in the family, if there's health issues, the the whole point is we need to look at Jesus. And the whole point of the family of faith is we are the resistance movement. As the train is headed this direction in crazy speeds away from God, our job is to get our eyes to look up and to get each other. Keep looking over here. And we know we got to do our stuff, but in the middle of it, man, look up here. Look at Jesus. I'm going to close by telling you this last story. And I, I, uh, I was leaving for our, the conference last week. And this is a, just a personal confessional moment about the struggle around faith at times. You know, I, I had, the morning we were leaving, I had a chemical reaction in my mouth, it looks like. And they, I had all these blisters and stuff that just covered my mouth. It was crazy. And I got real sick and I didn't know what was going on. They, I, I, I went to a doctor in Toledo. Josh had, uh, has a friend who's a PA and another friend who's a surgeon. And they all gave me different diagnoses for the thing. I came back here to get it checked out. And they ran like, they're running like eight tests on me and had me on six different medications and all sorts of craziness, you know. And I'm like, what, what is all that? You know, and it was on the morning that we left to go, you know, hang out with the Biteworks and go to conference. And the timing was just all too perfect, you know, for, for that thing. But I resisted in my heart, I resisted the fact that, that God was trying to communicate to me. And historically, what happens is, is that in these moments, I'm not saying that God plagues me with something or even that the enemy necessarily plagues me with something. All I'm saying is that in moments where we suffer, just like we talked about, Sonny was talking about at the beginning, in moments where we suffer, God has an ability to communicate to me in ways that I normally wouldn't see. Like my train car and everything and the way it works, it gets disrupted, you know? And all of a sudden, everything's different. And because of that, I reach out to God. But in this moment, I was, I was hurting and I was really frustrated and I could sense that I should probably listen to what God wanted to do. And, and yet I was like, I don't want this to be spiritual right now. I just want this to be physical and I just want pills that make it go away so I can get back to doing what I'm doing. I'm trying to have a great time hanging out with the Bite Works. We're trying to go to conference and get it done. I don't have time for all of this, you know? And we get halfway out there and, and I'm in the middle of sleeping and get woken up because the pain's too much. And finally, I just surrendered, you know? And I was like, all right, God, if you're trying to communicate to me, please do. And by the way, I would love it if you would take all this stuff away, you know? But I recognize that's not what it's about. Please begin to communicate to me. You know what happened? Not much, except for the fact that it got worse. But for one thing, I changed. My heart changed. The hardness of my heart changed. And in that moment, I stopped thinking about me and my sickness and how to get rid of it. And I stopped caring about me. And instead, I said, God, what do you want? What's the point not just of this sickness or something, but what, what do you want with my evening tonight? What do you want with my day today? I, I realize this is massively inhibiting everything that I want to do, but I want to know what you want to do, you know? And as soon as that f- 
shifted. Things started to change. My attitude started to change. And, and I could, there was a progression that throughout the week, things didn't necessarily get better with, with my mouth and with my physical problems. They actually were getting worse. But my attitude kept getting better and better because I was like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. Me, I don't really matter that much. You, you're the one who matters. And my spirit connecting with you, that's what I really want. And in this mo- moment, I actually have an ability to especially do that because life is disrupted. It's not as normal. And I have an opportunity to connect with you. So God, here, be with me. And I came home from annual conference, which any of you who have been to annual conference, it's not like a big like, woohoo, annual conference, you know? It's, it's none of that. You know, usually you come back like, whoa. I came back from annual conference just like, God moved profoundly. And it was a great moment. And I'm not sure if it was a better annual conference or if it's just that I was tuned in better than I usually am, you know? And it's because I had this moment and I was frustrated and I didn't want it to be anything else. I just wanted to see it in human terms and get it fixed. But instead I decided, all right, what do you want, God? And he begins to change my heart and he switches the focus from I to the I am. And he changes my heart and he changes my eyes. And I begin to see him all over the place. And I'm like, who cares about this physical stuff? Like, let's go after God, you know? And that's what happens when he gives us the eye exam, you know? And so our prayer today is that as a resistance movement, we will help each other look toward Christ. And then ultimately we will look up out of the train car and we will find the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he will call us to himself. And as he woos us and the attraction, the magnetic quality of his spirit just drawing our spirit, just draws us right up out of that train. And we begin to live in reality of walking in step with the Spirit of God. Amen? Let's pray.